0: Amen. Well, today you're probably going to feel like uh, you're a little bit like those guys, that we're, we're doing a Sunday school lesson in here, but we're going we're gonna to take it a little deeper, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're with us online as well. If you want to, as we're getting ready, open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. Joshua is the sixth book of the Old Testament, and we're going we're gonna to stay there or in chapters 6 and 5, um, and you'll see why I put them in that order as we go through today's message. Um, just join with me for um, as we come before God's Word. God, we're going to cover some familiar territory here today. And like the kids in Sunday school, we're going to see one level of the meaning here. But I ask you to help us take it deeper as adults, that you'd help us to see the deeper meanings here, not just the, the there was a battle, and the battle was won. But, Lord, that we'd see who was leading the battle, that we'd see your purpose and plan in the battle, and, Lord, that you'd help us see how that applies to our battles in our daily walk in lives. And we ask this in your name and to your glory. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Glad you're here today. So this is, we're continuing our, our series in Joshua on Be Strong and Courageous. And today we're coming to the Battle of Jericho, probably familiar territory to some, maybe not to all, so we're going to make sure we cover it. But I want to cover it at a deeper level. The title is, Who Won the Battle of Jericho? And you're like, well, come on, Terry, it's, it's Joshua won the battle, right? Maybe, certainly at one level. But I think there's another champion here that we need to see. So last week, we talked about the various commitments in the early part of the book of Joshua, the commitment of um, Joshua and the the spies to Rahab, because they offered shelter to the spies and protection from the people of Jericho, and her commitment protected them. And she did not tell their business, um, so the spies were able to get get away safely. And then the commitment of Joshua and the people to be obedient to the Lord and to His commands about bringing them into the promised land. They literally had to go forth and and put their feet in the river Jordan. And it wasn't until they took that step of faith that their feet were in the water. They were getting wet and muddy. They made that step of commitment that then the waters backed up. And then after they had passed through the dry riverbed, they took stones and made both a stack of of stones in that riverbed and then also where they camped that night, twelve stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel, to have a memorial, have a reflection to God's goodness in bringing them through the dry riverbed. And today we're also going to have a reflection to God's goodness Through following in the obedience of communion. And then the commitment to even follow God's further leading, and that God commanded that all the men of Israel would be circumcised. Because when they came out of Israel, right, they were circumcised. But then. Because of their disobedience, all the men who had been circumcised, they died in the wilderness over 40 years as they trekked around because they were disobedient to God. So, this new group of Israelites, after they had crossed into God's promised land, God said, no, I need you to stop. Before we, I need you to stop and recognize who you are in me and take that on yourself. And then while they were still recovering, they celebrated the Passover. Again, they remembered where God had led them, before He led them out of Egypt, He protected them and passed over them from one of the plagues. And they would celebrate that Passover, that time of bitterness, that time that would be the memorial to their breaking them free of the bondage of slavery in Egypt, which symbolized their bondage of free, the freeing them from that bondage. And that's why they celebrated Passover. And so today, we come now to the Battle of, Battle of Jericho. Like I said, so, um, maybe a refresher, but I hope we take a deeper look. Um, see, when my, my kids um, were homeschooled, three, two of them all the way through high school and one of them up to... Um, up to the start of high school, and then he's uh, over here at uh, the Adams School, we used a curriculum called Tapestry of Grace. And that curriculum ran in in cycles that were four years long. And in each of those cycles, um, we'd go through, we'd take a look at literature, fine arts, um, geography, writing, and a survey of the Bible. And we'd go through it one time, and, and the first time, it was kind of a fax, uh, it was referred to as, as grammar, just the facts, dates, times, peoples. Then the second time through, f- four years later, you'd kind of look at that same material, but now you'd look at, at the whys. Well, why did that happen? Why did they cross into the promised land? Why did they, why did God lead them in this way? And we're going to kind of delve into that. And then I hope at the end, we're going we're to then that fourth, that third cycle, if you stayed all the way through, sorry, was called rhetoric, and it evaluated the whys, and then being able to apply those whys to then your future and your life. So, my hope today is we're going to take a look at the facts, and then the whys, and then the application, just like my kids did when they were growing up, and that this would take what is a Sunday school lesson and turn it into a lesson that changes our lives, So, as we read about um, last week, as they were even preparing to go across and the spies spied out the land, that Jericho was a fortified city. Just a few days' walk from the eastern side of the Jordan River, and they had camped in front of it. And God needed to break that fortified city because that fortified city sat at the base of the, the hill that would then take you up into the hill country. So, as you cross over the Jordan, and then, before you can go anywhere else in, in Israel, you've got to deal with Jericho. It's, it's that thing that's right in front of you, it was right in front of them. And it's just like those things in our walk that, yes, we've come to Christ, yes, we know him, but what is that thing that may be holding us back? So that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to start at Joshua 6, um, 1 through 5, and see what they were dealing with there. So now Jericho was shut up inside and outside. Because of the people of Israel, and we had seen before that their hearts were literally melting inside them, and none went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once, and thus you shall do it for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns and before, before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. And the priest shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, then you will hear the sound of the trumpet. Then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight up before him. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let armed men pass before the ark of the Lord. So we're going to start with the command God's command and Joshua's obedience. Boy, what an odd battle plan! Walk around a city, blow horns. How is this a battle plan, God? How does this make sense? Okay, we're used to walking. I mean, you know, they've been walking in the desert. Boy, they knew that. They had walked through cities before, and none of them had suddenly fallen down on their face. How's this going to be different? Well, the difference is God is with them. Before, they were in disobedience. And God is going to take them from, from that point of disobedience and show them how, in their obedience, now He can turn it into something else. Because their only weapons appeared to be horns that they would be sounded once a day by the priests until the seventh day. And, you know, Joshua had been called a great military strategist, but, but my! Walking around a city, how's that going to work? And how is it so like God to take the thing that we seem to know so well and we put it in His hands? It becomes a weapon to His glory because it's changed the focus. Are we just walking around in our own sin as they had done for 40 years? Or is He calling to turn around And walk in His power. And that's what's happening here as they take on the city of Jericho, is they're going to take something that was the result of their own sin, the consequence of their sin. And God says, I'm going to take that, the symbol of that, that walking around, and use it to My glory. And so, continuing on, and Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets, Before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. And the armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking behind while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout." And so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night. And then Joshua rose early in the morning, the priests took the ark of the Lord, you know, rinse and repeat. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men walked before them, and the rear guard walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp so, they did that for six days. And I'm sure as they're marching around the city, let's be honest, probably the first time around, uh, the people of Jericho are just laughing at them, or, you know, probably quizzical. What are, what are you all doing? I mean, it would have been typical in that day for an army to encamp, to encircle to lay siege to a city that they're going to about to take. Nope. They walked around and they went back to their camp. Hold it. Wait, we can go, we can go get our supplies. This is, don't know what they're doing here, but okay. And then day two comes by and they set up their, you know, their men are on their walls and here they come up and yep, they're blowing the horns. And then they just go around the city. What's going on? And so we get to the seventh day. On the seventh day they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. And on the seventh time when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Do you notice something here? That number seven, that number seven keeps popping up and popping up and popping up. In Scripture, the number seven pops up as a symbol of completion, of perfection. And, it's, and Genesis tells us that God created the heaven and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, the day of completion, God rested. And that's from Genesis 2, 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the Lord's were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God had finished His work, and had, God finished His work and was done. And He rested. From all his work and he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on because on it God rest is from his work that he had done in creation. Based on this cycle of work and the rest, God commands us also to labor for six days, and then as we do here, and then rest. Come, worship him, for it is holy. In in Exodus 20, you know, we talk about the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days shall you labor, do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For again, for six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord has blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. But wait, God. So then, boy, why don't we have six days break and then we'll do the seventh day on the, on the next week? Why are we taking on this battle on that seventh day? Well, you see, because He's calling us to rest from our works to make it holy. And who's fighting this battle? It's not Joshua and the armies. It's God. And that he that has reached his time of completion, and that's why they're walking around the city on the seventh day seven times because that is the symbol of completion. And in it, they're honoring him. They're not, they're walking around quietly. I can't imagine that having the city of Jericho heckling, I'm sure, down, probably even throwing trash over the side and everything else like that, down on an army, about 600,000 strong, the men of Israel at this time. They're walking around the city, and they're getting heckled. And I'm sure when they completed that first lap, oh, you're going to go back to your city, go back to your camp now? Oh, we'll see you tomorrow. Nope, they kept going around, and I'm sure they get more heckling. And as they went further and further around, I'm sure sure at some point they were probably having a barbecue and, oh, yep, there they go by around again. Man, those horns are getting annoying. But then God broke through. On the seventh day, after the seventh time, He has them blow the shofar, as it's called. And then the walls come tumbling down. And as we worship here, think of that worship that the Israelites were having. Probably they were confused, but they knew the end, didn't they? They knew that God had said, He's going to take care of the battle. And so reading on in Joshua 6, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. But only Rahab, the prostitute, and all that are with her in her house shall live. "'because she hid the messengers whom we sent. "'But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, "'lest when you have devoted them, you take them, "'take any of the devoted things, "'and make the camp of Israel a thing of destruction, "'and bring trouble upon it. "'But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron "'are holy to the Lord, "'and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord.' So the people shouted, and the trumpets are blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. And the wall fell down flat. And so the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they captured the city and then devoted all the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. See, the people of Israel, they sacked, as it would be called, the city of Jericho, but really under the power, because they weren't going to get through those fortified walls without a great siege, without great siege engines. But God had a different plan, that on the seventh day, on a day holy to Him, He was going to show His power not only to the Israelites, but to the people of the land of Cana, that God was in the battle business. And God was in the business of taking back the land for His people, the land that He had given them. The sound of the shofar means to the people of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And for six days they had been hearing, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Round and round they went. And then on the sixth day when they blew... I'm sure the the shout was amazing, but they knew with that moment, with that completed moment, that the Lord is one and the Lord has given them the victory. And they were able to go straight in. And what we're going to see in this battle that's different than the other battles is except for uh, the gold and silver that's set aside for the Lord's temple, everything else is set for destruction. The men, the women, the young, the old, the oxen, the sheep, the donkeys are all slaughtered in the name of the Lord. And this gets back to the principle of first fruits, because what we're going to see in later battles is they are allowed to take the spoils of war. They are allowed to take um, the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, and other things like that, because at this point, the manna has stopped. They need some provisions, but God says, no, in this first battle, all that is to me, and you will not take any of it. But to the two, continuing on, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house, Rahab's house, and bring her out here, the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went out and brought in Rahab and her father, mother and brothers, "...and all who belonged to her, and they brought her out, all the relatives, and put them outside the camp. And they burned the city with fire, everything in it, only the silver, gold, and the vessels of bronze and iron. They put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. But for Rahab and her family, Rahab the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day, because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho." And in fact, as we discussed last week, she is actually included, she and her family are actually included in the lineage of David and therefore the lineage of Jesus because of her obedience. And Joshua laid an oath on them, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and rebuilds the city of Jericho. At the cost of the firstborn shall he lay its foundations, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates." And so, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame in all the land. And you kind of say, boy, that's an odd thing to say at the end of a sacking of a city to just to, um, to say that. But remember, the city had been devoted to fire, so the city had been burned for the Lord. It's like an altar to Him. And the Lord took that cursing and honored it because we then read, and it was a prophetic because then we read later in 1 Kings, 1 Kings 16, how God follows through. Then Ahab made an Asherah, which is a pole, and Ahab was a king in Israel, and did more to provoke the Lord, provoke the, Lord the God of Israel, to anger than, any, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Heal of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abrim, his firstborn, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Shagub according to the word of the Lord, which was spoken by Joshua the son of Nun. See, when we take the things of God and try and, if you will, recycle them for not the purpose for which they're dedicated to, we run the risk of bearing His wrath, which is what happened here. And we have a choice when we're doing things right, and this is where we start looking beyond that just, oh, there was the battle of Jericho. The battle of Jericho was fought by the people marching around the city just as they had marched for 40 years. But now took, God took that 40-year march and now completed it with that march around the city of Jericho. But God is also watching over Jericho and saying, that has been burned, that has been sacked for my glory, and that the man who will try and cover that up, he does that to cover up what has happened Does that to his own risk and literally loses his first and youngest, both his first and youngest child to, if you will, the sin, to the telemetry of taking on God and saying, Oh, I don't care what you did here. Well, it cost him two of his kids. And Joshua and the people followed God's command for the taking of Jericho for protecting Rahab and her family and for setting things aside for the treasury of God as he had commanded. See, Joshua had the faith to keep the commandments, to follow through with God's battle plan, that no matter how strange it seemed in the the human, that he was going to follow that because many times like us, There are battles before us that we don't understand. There are battles that we are fighting that we fought for years, and we don't understand why we can't get out of them because we actually haven't gone to the Lord to ask Him what's going on. And then the question is, are we going to follow His battle plan when we get there, when He leads us in obedience? And Joshua also led the people in obedience. You see, once the battle plan was given, Joshua didn't go back and go, God, really? I mean, we just spent the last four years walking. You want us to spend another seven days walking just to take the city? Nope. Joshua said to the priests and to the people of God, guys, we got some more walking to do. Oh, and be quiet. We're going to blow the horn, but you all, you be quiet. Because I imagine as they're walking through the desert, I mean, we've all gone for walks, walked with our family, we're walking, we're talking, we're sharing our experience, we're talking about life. Boy, man, is not that guy up there look funny? None of that. But the constant sound of the shofar, hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. God's changing the message that's running inside their head, just like He else, and often needs to change the message that runs inside our own heads. Do we hear, hear, O South Point, the Lord our God, the Lord our God will win? Or do we let another narrative run? See, they had faith. They were obedient, and they trusted. They trusted that each day they got up, and they walked around the city again. Boy, it doesn't look anything different than it did yesterday. Get back to the camp on day three. Did you see anything different? Oh, you know that guy? He, he, was, he was on that part of the city. Now he's over here. Okay. Day four. Man, would they just stop heckling? Day five. Here we go again, guys. You ready? Ready? Day six. Oh, here's that. Man, that shofar, that's getting annoying. What, you want us to walk around it seven times? Haven't the, the other six times be good enough? Now you want us to do seven times? Haven't we spent the last 40 years marching in the desert? Nope. They had faith. They had obedience. They had trust. And these are the facts of the battle, but I want to spend the rest of the time looking at the prelude to the battle. We're going to go back, and we're going to look at the end of chapter 5, and I really think, you know, when, when the, the Joshua was really written, it was written on scrolls, and it was a continuous story, and later on, chapter markers were added, and I really think the end of chapter 5 should have started chapter 6, and we're going to look at that now. We're going to look at who really commanded this army. See, in Jap- and, and we're, going to start with, uh, we're going to drop back to Joshua um, chapter 5. Because Joshua goes and spies out the land, or spies out, jo- you know, he had sent out his spies before, but he wants to go look at it. So when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him. With his drawn sword in his hand, and Joshua said to and Joshua went to him and said to him, "Are you for us or for our adversaries?" Pay attention. And he said, "No, but I am the commander of the Lord, the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come." Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped him and said, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I hope you now have images of the burning bush in your head Because remember, God had said to Joshua, he would be with Joshua as he was with Moses. And what a striking parallel here, isn't it? That just as God had said at the the burning bush to Moses, take off your sandals for the ground where you are holy, he says the same thing now to this encounter. Take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy. There's been debate in the, as I was reading through different commentaries, there's debate about who this person is. Who is this battle really? Who is this commander of the Lord's army? And I think there's some things we can point to to make some suggestives. I'm not, um, I recognize there's some discussion about this. Um, He comes to this man, first of all, and says, are you for us, against us? And the man is already standing there with a sword. In his hand, and then he says no. Some would, uh, some of the translations say neither, because you see Joshua is asking the wrong question because he doesn't know who he's facing. He calls himself I am. Hmm, where have we heard I am before? I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Sounds very similar to when Moses asked, who should I say has sent me? Say that I am has sent me. And notice immediately Joshua recognizes who that is, and he falls on his face in worship. And in other places in Scripture where there's a similar moment um, of a Person interacting with a heavenly being. If that person is what we would refer to as an angel, often they will people will fall down and says, "No, no, don't worship me. I'm just an angel." That isn't what happens here. God says, "Take off your sandals. This ground is holy." That tells me this is certainly a, one of the Trinity. There's debate about which one. We can have that discussion over coffee later. But, um, but know that I am has come to command the army, and that the conversation about who, who are you for isn't the correct question, because the question really now at that moment, and Joshua recognizes it, is who is Joshua for? He's up there to spy out the city, to try and come up with a plan of, God, how do I take this on? And I'm sure that's what he's in that time of prayer. And then all of a sudden there's this guy standing there with a sword. Well, are you for us or against us? Neither. I am has come. And then he worships because he's recognizing now the question isn't, are you for us, against us, but Joshua, are you going to follow me as the commander of the Lord's armies Are you going to participate with me, or are you going to try and do this on yourself? Yes, you've consecrated yourself. You've seen my leading, but are you going to continue in obedience to follow and follow wherever, however I'll lead? And that's the question you and I, in our daily walk, need to ask about our decisions. That we, when we come before the Lord, when we come to those decision points of how we're going to take on the battle, our question shouldn't be, "God, are you for or are you for me or for my adversaries?" Our question should be, "God, what are your orders? God, how do you want to proceed in this situation?" That we should come alongside Him, not asking Him to come alongside us as we take on the battle for our workplaces, the battle for our schools, the battle for our minds. Where are we asking God to step in? Are we asking Him to step in alongside us or are we asking Him to direct what our steps should be? And it's very clear from this passage. Of which way God would have us go, that He would have us step into that. God, what is your direction here? I see this before me. I don't know how to proceed. God could have led them up the the side of the Jordan to somewhere else, but He says, No, we're going to do this, but we're going to do this my way. I'm going to lead the battle, I'm going to lead the armies. Because notice back there he said, the commander of the army of the Lord. And the interesting thing there is I was reading through some commentaries, it pointed out often there are multiple armies when the Lord is in charge. There's the armies of the physical. We see, just like in this room, we see the army of the Lord, the people of God. But I will tell you just like Elisha said to one of his servants, there are armies we don't know about. There are armies we don't see here in this room today. The armies of the Lord that come behind us and protect us and empower us and then challenge us through the Holy Spirit, through His angels protecting us, protecting His people, protecting His people, the church for which we are one church of many churches that He is raising up, that He is in charge of, that we ask Him to lead. that He wants us to take on those strongholds in our personal lives and in the lives of those we know and love who aren't yet part of our church or part of His church. But I tell you that today the I Am, like commander of the Lord's army, wants to lead us in battle. He wants to show His power in those areas you're struggling today. Those areas of sin, those areas of conflict, those areas of fear and uncertainty, those are the battles He wants to take on in our lives. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a fear of sharing Him with others. I don't know what your fears are. I don't know what your struggles are, but I know the I am does. The commander of the Lord's army knows where you're at, knows your struggles, and wants to meet you there. And today we're going to celebrate communion, and the band is going to come up. And as we do that, we're called to a time of reflection, a time of introspection. And Bill's going to lead us in communion. But the first step of that is recognizing who is the Lord. Who is the battle maker? Who is the battle winner in your life? <clears throat> Let's close in prayer. Today, Lord, we thank You. We thank You that You won the battle of Jericho, that You led Joshua and the army to take that which they had done for 40 years in sin and turned it around and made it something beautiful that took that first city in Israel in Cana, the promised land. Lord, how You often take what we've messed up and make it something new. Lord, today as we continue on in worship, as we come before the communion table, help us see those areas where we fall short to confess them to You, to seek Your healing, to seek Your blessing, and show us how You would take on the battles, for the battle belongs to You in Jesus' name.